What's up, principals, and welcome to the Principal Crew Podcast. You know me. My name is Adam Welcome. I'm a principal. I'm your host, and this is the podcast that is all about principals all of the time because that's just what we do. And today on the show, I have the National Distinguished Principal for North Dakota on the podcast. Super excited, super honored. Stephen Guglich, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. And if Stephen sounds a little bit tired, I'm going to explain why his wife, they just had their fourth child two weeks ago. So yeah. I don't think you are getting too much sleep. I remember those days. Actually, I kind of don't remember those days because <laughs> it was so long. It was 10 and eight years ago for me, and uh, they all just kind of blur together. But Stephen, man, for people that don't know who you are, introduce yourself, where you're from, where you work. Just kind of give us the give us the down low, man. I'm, I'm Steve Guglich. I'm a principal at Missouri Ridge School here in Williston, North Dakota. Uh, I've been principal for 10 years now, going on 11, uh, and uh I was a reluctant principal because I, I, I loved teaching. I was a school teacher. I taught science to, to middle school. I taught uh, English to middle school and I taught media arts to middle school students. And I just, I absolutely loved it. And I was reluctant to become a, um, a principal. Uh, my friend convinced me to, to go get a master's degree with him and he, he majored in uh, educational leadership. So I followed and uh, halfway through, I'm like, nah, this is not for me. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm never going to be a principal. And um, he convinced me, he said, come on, just finish. You know, if anything, it'll just, you'll have your master's. It'll be a boost in your pay, in your pay. Just go ahead and finish with me. So we, we, uh, we uh, finished and uh, we had a blast. Uh, and then I did nothing with that master's degree for 10 years until I got a call from a friend living out here in North Dakota, who I thought when he moved to North Dakota, I'm probably never going to see him again because I have no desire to move from North Dakota. I was working at the number one middle school and as a science teacher in uh, New Jersey. Uh, and I was, you know, pretty, pretty happy there. Uh, my wife and I would just bought a house. And then all of a sudden he calls says, you know, I, I know this guy is superintendent. He's looking for a, a principal. And I'm like, dude, I'm not interested. There's no way. And long story short, uh, God moved me out to North Dakota and uh, I've been serving here ever since. Yeah, I was going to say, dude, how do you go from New Jersey to like North Dakota? Nothing against North Dakota. It's just a, you know, unless, oh, yeah. you, have, unless you have family there, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big move. I think a couple of things you said really resonate is when you're, when you're going through something and maybe you're going through reluctantly or maybe you're going through the, something that's hard, have a friend with you because people will, will, will bring you through and you can get across that finish line much faster and half happier and healthier when you have a colleague or, or a future colleague, uh, you know, with you. So what talk about the difference between New Jersey and North Dakota and just education or, or, or approach, you know, whatever you will oh. kind of giving us the differences. Oh man. Well, you know, as I haven't been back to Jersey in several years, but it, it was a big difference coming here. Um, when, when I moved out here, I was the principal for three rural schools and I'd have to go back and forth. Between wait, wait, all the wait, schools. wait, wait. You had three <laughs> schools that you were 
Yeah, well, my first principalship, my first, oh, I was in, wow. you know, my first time being a principal, uh, I had three schools, three small schools. I had 150 kids in, uh, in the whole, actually it was 180 uh, between the three schools. And um, what was interesting about that was, you know, we came to North Dakota during what they call the oil boom, you know, the big, the, mm. the, the, the I guess it was the third boom that um, they had here in the Bakken region. And I, like I said, I started out with 180 students um, and it was just starting to boom. And every year it started to increase. And after a couple of years, I was like, I went to the superintendent and the school board. I said, if you really want to make a, a dynamic impact on these students, we need more principals. I, I, you know, all I'm doing is traveling back and forth, uh, patching holes in the dam and, and putting on band-aids uh, between the three schools. And, um, you know, I'm not able to be a, as impactful as I would like to be. Um, so they listened and they thankfully they agreed and uh, and they hired on one more principal. So then I had two schools and then as you know, it, it just it it exponentially increased. Um, like I said, we had 180 when I started 10 years ago. We have over 800 students right now in our district. Wow. Um, three between three schools. And um, so as far as the difference between here and New Jersey, night and day, I mean, it, it, it was very different you know it was a rural school setting it was uh you know you had prairie teachers uh you know it was it was a learning experience it, it especially you know me I, I was born and raised in new york city i came out here um i did have a little bit of a rural experience living in florida for a few years uh but other than that uh you know it was it was it was eye-opening yeah this is one of the reasons one of the many reasons why i love this podcast but also Another reason why I feel it's so important for principals to talk to other principals in other areas and other states, because you think you're listening and maybe you think, God, I got to deal with this and that. And you got Steve here, who's got principal of three schools and just, it's just different, different challenges and people that are principals in New York city or San Francisco or, or Texas or whatever it is. I think it builds it builds perspective and it builds empathy and everybody is just going through different leadership challenges. And even though you're in a rural area and I'm in an urban area, I'm, I'm in just right outside San Francisco, we can learn from each other. And I think it's a really, it's a really important piece to, to think about and to remember, and then to build that network of people. And that brings me into NDP national distinguished principle. First of all, Steve, congratulations. Thank Anybody you. that has been a principal of three schools deserves to be the National Distinguished <laughs> Principal. Oh my gosh. But uh, for that matter, how did, how did that come about? How, was, how did you find out? I mean, being the National Distinguished Principal for NASP <sighs> is just a huge honor. I have so many friends that have been awarded that honor. Tell us how you found out kind of the nomination process well, and, and all of that. I'll be honest, it was crazy because I, I've we have a local air, local region of principals that we get together with every now and then. And I wasn't very active. And just like you were saying, though, it started to resonate with me. I needed to be more active in networking with other principals and just kind of bouncing off ideas and everything and not being the, the lone, the, the lone ranger principal and, and, and whatnot. So I kind of, so I started be, being become more active in the, uh, the organization, the Region One principles, as they call it, part of the NASP, and um, and 
you know, I remember a, a couple of times you know, over the last couple of years, you'd get the application. They'd send, you know, we're looking for nominations for the uh, principal of the year and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you're interested, please fill out the application. And I'm like, I, you know, I've never really been into this principal of the year, teacher of the year thing, unless it's done to me. I need, I felt it needed to be done right because otherwise it's a popularity contest. It's the squeaky wheel. It's the person who, who shines the most, who, you know, who, um, and not necessarily shines in a good way all the time. It's just, you know, the more, the more, it's usually the more popular person. And that always bothered me about these things. Um, so I never, never, ever filled out the application. And then I get a, a message from two, two other principals in the area. And they're like, you know, Steve, we, we've heard a really l a lot of great things that you're doing out at, at Missouri Ridge and, and what you've done in District 8 over the, the last 10 years. And we really want to nominate you for the to be the principal, but you've, you've never filled out the, uh, the principal of the year and you've never filled out those applications. And, you know, is that something you're interested in? And I said the same thing to them. I said, guys, I'm, I'm really honored. But, you know, it's it, to me, it just seems like a popularity contest. And I, I, I I'm not about that. I, you know, the, I wanted it to be you know, more uh, than that, you know, uh, if, if I was going to enter. And they said, well, that's, it's not a popularity contest. We see what you're doing. We've heard what, what what's happening out there at Missouri Ridge. And, and, you know, everybody's talking about Missouri Ridge. And, you know, you got to be doing something right. So they convinced me um, to, to enter, um, filled out the application, you know, then I, you know, a few months later, I found out that I, I was the, the principal of the year for my region. And that I would be going to the next stage of becoming the uh, principal of the year for North Dakota, nationally distinguished principal. <laughs> and, and I'm like, yeah, I doubt, I doubt it. You know, it's, it's, I, you know, there's so many other qualified, really good principals out there. You know, I really didn't think I had much of a chance. And so we're sitting there at the, at the state convention, principals, administrators convention in uh, February. Uh, and I usually don't go to those either because, again, you know, I'd, I'd rather be in the school. I, you know, it's hard. It, it's hard for me to, to pull myself away from my school. Um, so uh, but they said, you know, you got to go. You got to at least find out, you know, whether or not you got the award and, and, and whatnot. So I went and um, they they get up to the nominee or to announce the award and they start reading off from my biography. And I'm like, my eyes just I I was in shock. I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and then all of a sudden my superintendent and, and a bunch of people from my school board walk out and I'm like, Whoa, Oh my gosh, you know, this is really exciting. And, and I was just speechless. They asked me to say something and I, I just, I didn't know what to say. Ah, I really... <laughs> that's awesome. man. that's such a, that's such a good story. I was, uh, I was in Montana in January speaking at the, Montana State Principal Conference and uh, Travis Niemeyer, who's the NDP for Montana, who's also now a friend of mine, uh, they announced him there too. And he didn't know either. And <laughs> I had found out the night before and um, those, uh, there's not many surprises left in life. So it's nice when, <laughs> it's nice when people can be surprised. So, you know, with that being said, you, you, you have a family, you have four kids, you're busy. Uh, what is yep. your approach to having a family and having, uh, a demanding job as a principal how do you kind of approach it all to make sure that you're giving what you need to your family and you're giving what you need to your school and friends and and just activities that you're involved in how do you kind of not balance it all but just what is your approach to it well, we have a family first philosophy in our district i mean we you know if if we have a teacher you know something's going on in their life and they're you know 
they don't know what to do. You know, I, I, I got to get my lesson plans ready. I got this going on. I got that going on. But then this, you know, I got this, this, we're like, don't worry about that. You got, you got to put your family first. And that, that comes from the top down from the superintendent and, and, and whatnot. And, and it's just a really great family oriented atmosphere. So they, we all respect each other's time here in the district. We, we know that we have teachers and paras, custodians, you know, the superintendent, we all have a life outside of school and we all know that we're there for the kids, but we also need to be available for our family. So we try to keep, um, you know, we, we try to keep normal hours. We, it's, it's not always easy, but, um, uh, weekends are usually spent with, with the kids, uh, evenings, you know, we try to have a normal, uh, routine, you know, bedtime routine, um, you know, my, and with my children, they're active. My son is an active swimmer. Uh, so, uh, you know, we go to swim meets often, um, you know, practice that kind of stuff. We have, we go to church, we do all sorts of, you know, so we try to, you know, we try to keep it as normal as possible. Thankfully, you know, my wife is pretty, pretty darn awesome. She's a stay at home mom. And, uh, uh, you know, she kind of, she takes up the slack. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, I would just say kudos to your superintendent because I know, people will behave and work and act to how leadership is. And I've seen so many cultures where the superintendent or directors or the principal, they are, you know, what I would call workaholics and working all the time. And, and I, I would say working too much. They're not, they're not being effective anymore because they're just at work. And I don't think it's a badge of, I know it's not a badge of honor to be at work all the time and to be a workaholic and, um, we've talked about that many times on the podcast. So leaders lead by example and put your family first. So your so your team puts their family first. And if right. your if your superiors, your your bosses, and aren't like that, hopefully you can and can affect that change moving up because it is it is too important to not to not put to not put family first. What is your favorite interview question? to ask candidates that you are trying to interview for your team? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have a favorite one. I've, I've done so many different ones. We've revised the, over the years the different um, interview questions. So when I'm looking for, you're talking about like teachers or for yeah, any, and, any and I want to know the question. So here's, maybe I should clarify. I want the question that is not normally on that list of 10 questions that we've been asking for 25 years of teachers or, or classified mm -hmm. staff, it doesn't matter. Because I feel that those are the questions, the one that's not on the list, that we really learn the most about the candidate. Because, okay, Steve, you've been here and you have your credentials and what does a good math lesson look like? And yeah, 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 like, yeah, okay, you're, you're qualified, you're credentialed, you care about kids, but I'm looking for that question that is not on that list. Yeah, I, and I and I wish I, I wish I knew the answer to that question because here, <laughs> here's the thing with with that. If if it were up to me, I'd have a bunch of different questions than than we normally have. But we have a, a human resources department and we have a, a superintendent, and they kind of dictate. You know, every candidate gets asked the same questions in the same way, and you don't divert from them because. You know, you never know whether somebody's going to come back and say, you know, well, you never asked me that question. Had you asked me that question, you probably would have got a better answer and you might have hired me, you know, that kind of thing. So that that kind of bureaucracy stuff, um, you know, 
to me, it's it, it's burdensome, but I, I respect it. I understand it. Um, so I follow the procedure. But what I look for, I, I'm looking for the passion. I'm always looking to see uh, the root of those answers. The, when, when, when we ask the standardized questions, you know, does it come back to the kids? Does it come back to the kids? Is it all about the kids? Are they, are, are they looking to build relationships with the kids? It's not just about content. It's about building relationships. And that's kind of what I'm looking for. You know, are, are you, you know, are you really passionate about helping kids? I tell my, my teachers all the time, I say, you know, we don't just teach math, science, social studies, and English. We teach life. And in order to do that, we have to be able to build relationships. So that's what I look for in a, in a candidate, someone who's, who knows that, who knows that they need to build relationships, that it's not just about, you know, it's not just about the core academic areas. Yeah, hundred percent. And yes, I should clarify, make sure that you are following all hiring practices. <laughs> no, so they, they are fair. I, cause I've yes. been, I've been in, I've been interviewed where I know what they're doing is not fair. And that's just not okay. Yeah. But I would also say HR departments and superintendents give some flexibility to what you ask. So if they give you 10 questions, well, then can we add one more? And we're going to add that one more to every interview. So as long as they're being asked the same question, but we, God, we got to dig a, not dig deeper. We just need to dig in a different place to maybe find out something. Because I'll tell you, sometimes these HR directors have not been principals or they have a different mm -hmm. background. And, you know, as a school leader, you, you got to ask different things if you want to find out about the people that you want to, to join your team. So um, what is your favorite leadership book to read, Steve, that you recommend to other leaders? If, if you have a, a new leader, maybe the, that you're, that you're mentoring for, you're like, Hey, this is the leadership book that you got to read just to put you in, the, the right leadership mindset? Oh, you know, uh, there's so many books out there. And, and I, I look more for, um, you know, and I, I, I can't remember the actual name. There's a book by Danny Brazell um, that's on leadership that I, that I really enjoy. But, I, you know, I don't think there's just one book that can answer all those questions because leadership is more than just, you know, it's more than just leading and, and it's, it's leading by example. It's leading through understanding uh, there. There's so there's so many books out there that I would uh, and I wish I could remember Danny's um, book uh, that he did on leadership. Um, but it, that was a great book. And uh, but I also like other books like Wild at Heart, you know, which really it's not really a, a necessarily a leadership book, but it really gets it really helps you understand the the psychology of of, of a man, of a of a. Of a of males, I guess. And then there's a counter book. There's another one called Captivating by the same author and his wife. And it really gets you, really helps you to understand the, the psychology of, um, of females, you know, why they, why they say and do what they do, you know, and that, and that kind of thing. Um, I also like the, uh, the five love languages uh, book uh, that also gives a great insight into, um, into working with people and, um, and understanding people. Yeah, it doesn't need to be leadership based, but I think to your point, just like human, just humanity and how you work with people. So I want, you're, you're, you're a veteran principal. I want your advice. <clears throat> Let's say you have a new initiative or a new program that you want to bring to your school or that your district office says, all right, Steve, we gotta, we gotta roll this out. <clears throat> what is your approach to taking something new that's a big kind of entity and 
presenting it, rolling it out, training your team. And I ask you this question because I hear this question a lot from other leaders across the country. And I've also seen it, in my opinion, just done the wrong way mm-hmm. where like they just go, here you go. And they just kind of throw it at the teachers and you, you got to do it. A, you got to do it a certain way. So just what is your, what is your buy-in? Is, yeah. Yeah. Buy-in is so important. Uh, and the way, the way we do buy-in uh, in, at, at our school is we look at what it's going to do for the students. You know, how is this really going to help us? You know, um, and I always tell the teachers when I'm doing any sort of professional development, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring this to you unless I can find the value in it. Um, you know, and, and thankfully we, I've never been put in a, a position um, where, um, you know, where I hundred I, percent I disagree with what they're doing. Uh, you know, I've always been kind of, uh, with what the upper administration is doing. Um, so it's been able to, uh, you know, I've been able to do buy-in a, a lot um, because we, we start with, okay, what is this going to, how is this going to really help our students? Uh, you know, this year, we, last couple of years, we've had a student engagement initiative, you know, how are we going to engage students and, and get out of, uh, you know, from the, from the tired old teaching methods of, of, of uh, lecturing and whatnot and looking into student engagement. And um, for the veteran teachers, uh, you know, that, that's tough because they're used to, they're, they're stuck in their way. So you got to be able to get buy-in with that as well. Um, it's, it's um, I guess, like I said, the key is really just showing them how it's going to uh, help the students and help them and walking them through the process. You know, you notice some people are going to pick up on it right away and say, oh, this is great. And then you have the others who are are going to be, uh, you know, a little, like I said, stuck in their ways. And those are the ones where you kind of have to take by the hand and say, you know, okay, let me sit down with you and, and let's kind of go over this. What is this going to look like in your particular classroom? How, how is that going to affect you? Um, I, I, I prefer to do a lot of individual uh, work with my, with my staff, you know. Uh, um, sure, I can roll out on a big scale, but then it's really working with the individuals uh, and um, and really helping and guiding them through each each step of the way. Um, and yeah. that that's not always easy to do uh, because our uh, our time is pulled in so many different directions, and we got to split our time. But I think it's also important to make time to meet. Um, you know, my teachers know that. You know you got, I, I, yes, I am busy. I'm always going to be busy. I'm never going to be sitting around just reading a book uh, for pleasure. So, but if you need something, you need to stop and come in and see me and, and talk to me and do not be afraid to, to interrupt me. I mean, if, if I, obviously if I can't talk to you or from in a meeting at the time, I can say, okay, I'll catch up with you in just a little bit. Uh, but do not be afraid to, to bother me. I, I, you know, you need to, it's my, you know, it's part of what I, what I'm here for to help you. Sure. Um, so, yeah. You know, that's that open door uh, policy, you know, a little bit, I guess. Yeah, no, I think it's more of an op- open door mindset because you're yep. not always in your office and your door's not open. Uh, right. It's just being available. And uh, we wrote about it in my latest book, Teachers Deserve It, where, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of to what you said, when teachers know the why and they know the information, they're going to be more on board. So some of it is just simple as talking to your teachers. Here's this new program or whatever it is that we have to do and here's the why and here's what it's going to do and they know more and they're going to be like okay cool maybe they don't love it or maybe they don't 100 percent believe in it but as long as they are 
in the loop and given information, I think it really, really goes a long way. So um, are you going to be in Chicago this summer? At- oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah. my I'm wife gonna- and I are looking forward to it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So this summer, if you don't know what I'm talking about, is the NASP conference in Chicago. It's going to be amazing. I'm signed up. Steve signed up. And uh, I'm going to be able to hear your National Distinguished Principal uh, speech this summer. Mm-hmm. But let's give us give us a preview. If you had the ear of all principals across this country, elementary, middle school, high school, just I'm going to pass the microphone to you, Steve. What would you tell leaders across this country? What will you tell principals this summer? Well, the number one question I get asked a lot as a principal is how in the world do you do it? And uh, my answer is simply, it's God. I mean, there's no other way I could do my job as well as I do it uh, without God. Uh, I, I, you know, I constantly rely on his direction. Um, I know that, you know, I'm serving him in in the capacity that I'm in. uh, And um, he, you know, he is the reason, uh, you know, why I'm here. Um, And secondly, it's because of the encouragement of my wife. My wife has been an amazing encouragement uh, to me over the years, not only as a principal, but as a father, as a writer, you know, in in all aspects. Uh, She is my best friend and my encourager. Um, So, you know, so that that to me is, is, is the key you know, knowing why you do what you do. And I, you know, I, I do what I do because uh, I love kids and because God has gifted me in that area uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'm excited to hang out this summer in Chicago. I have not been in Chicago in a couple of years. If you have not signed up for the conference, naesp.org, register, sign up. Steve, congratulations on NDP. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate having the conversation and the knowledge and the wisdom just from a different part of the country that the listeners may not, uh, may not know or be used to and um, make sure you connect with Steve and everyone listening. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day. Thanks for having me. What's up everyone. Hey, before we go today, I got to give a shout out to N-A-E-S-P and N-A-S-S-P, the National Association of Elementary School Principals and the National Association of Secondary School Principals. If you are not a member of these national organizations, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, I was a member of my state organization for years and I found that I got so much out of the national organization. They have conferences, they have webinars, they have so many different assets and tools for principals that are doing the job. NAESP.org and NASSP.org. Join up, sign up, connect with them on social media. You will not regret it. NAESP.org and NASSP.org are the national organizations for elementary and secondary school principals.